And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hear that podcast growling, made and angry. Hear that co-host shouting, it's Dander and Jay. Junior Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here. It's presented by Visa, a network working for everyone. We are working for you in the middle of the offseason. Helmets showed up, Jay. Oh, helmets. Helmet and live action. Helmet, yeah. Not live, but. Some. Some action. Something Coverage. resembling action. Half of <laughs> football action. Done at a kind of a okay pace. Is that something what we've seen? Yeah, is that, <laughs> yeah, and a massive upgrade. Uh, yeah, <laughs> over over what we've over what we've been watching uh, as the Bengals have their their six real ish OTAs where they can go against each other. They can do individual work. They can they're in helmets. They're out on the field doing it. it. Was before everything was just separate. You're running around doing individual drills and what have you. No one on ones. No anything. Really, and so they're into that portion. It's this week, uh, and then they will do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week, and they will be gone for the summer until they show up in late July. And really, the whole league kind of takes their one break where they disappear. Uh, the Bengals will do that as well, and the only thing in that time frame will be the Jesse Bates July 15th deadline. Outside of that, pretty wide open. We'll have some really, again, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, really, really, really excited about our series that we're going to be doing in that period. I, I think um, I think it's going to be really great. I think it's different. I think it's going to be fun and, and entertaining and informative about the team, the Bengals, the people that shape it in a lot of ways. That's my teaser. I'm not teasing anymore. We'll have plenty of explanation as it gets closer, but again, really excited for how we're going to fill that space for you. But we're not there yet. We've still got this week and next week talk about what's going on while people are still here in the facility, Jay. Um, there's a little bit of news. Not really. Not much news. No. I. Well, I, I wrote down plays. That was news. That was the first yeah. time I'd written down plays, but I... I don't know if I'll ever do anything with the, what I wrote down, but I did. I did log every seven on seven snap for the news. Um, Tyler Shelvin returned. Uh, he had his he had his left wrist um, slash forearm wrapped. It was hard to tell if there was a cast under the wrap. But Zach did say he had a slight procedure that would probably keep him out this week and next week. Doesn't sound like anything serious. Um, the other guys that that missed last week were all back. Um, the the ones that had been present, which was Von Bell with the flight issue, and then Mike Thomas and Jermaine Pratt, uh, Jesse Bates and Trey Hendrickson, of course, uh, remain um, away from the team. Um, still, all voluntary. The Bengals, not none of this is is mandatory. They're not doing a mini camp. You mentioned it. it'll be three more OTA days next week. None of this is mandatory yet, and um, I don't I don't 
think there was any news beyond that. No, I mean, yeah, no, in, a question was asked about Bates. Nothing came of it. Um, there's really not a whole lot. As far as observation, I mean, we, we got some stuff we're going to get to here. Um, we'll give you some observations of some stuff. We, we got a topic that Jay's writing about that I, we want to bring you some on and talk a little bit about, and that's the the continuity of this uh, top of this coaching staff is, is is really remarkable. And, of course, Jay's got stats on it, but <laughs> there, there's – I think there's a lot more to talk about there that is maybe one of the most under-discussed reasons that there is optimism uh, that this team won't won't regress, um, you know, that that will be able to take the next step. Uh, and coaching continuity is, is, is a big part of that. We're going to get into that. We're going to give you our observations about OTAs. Mo Ager will join us, of course. We'll talk a little bit about Rollerblade Man. Uh, but you know, after that, we're going to talk about Rollerblade Man and it's going to, we're, we're just going to see where it goes from there. And I feel like we, I know this because we've already recorded it, we'll fix society's issues. How about that, Jay? Except for gas prices. Yeah, I can't fix that. Um, no. After that, we've got a fun, fun uh, exercise that we are going to do. Um, it's it is a little bit is inspired by a, you know Robert Mays on the Athletic podcast did with uh, Nate Tyson, Lindsey Jones. They've did these these draft of players. They did QB draft and they did a non QB player draft, and you pick your teams, put them against each other, um, and and see who can build the best team. And it gets into it, contracts are taken into play. Um, you know, you, you're trying to build the best team uh, that you can, but you're picking from the whole league. I thought Jay. A good one to do this would be to do this with the Bengals. And you're saying, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, we know. How about this? This is what we came up with. We're going to call it an organizational draft. So you can add in front office. The only things that remain the same, you got Burrow and you've got the Brown family. Any member of the family or Joe Burrow are already in-house. You are building around them. And we will do a draft, Jay and I, to see who can build the best team. That includes your scouting department that includes Duke Tobin that includes your your coaching staff from top to bottom that includes anybody in operations that includes all your players uh, that includes your equipment staff shout out trunk shout out Sam I don't I don't know if they're going to make the cut but I I they're on my list okay uh, and so uh, we we have all of that they're all all here for us to pick we're going to do I'm not going to see how many rounds until we feel done. I've I've got fifteen, but that feels long. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> We've never done it before, so we'll see how long until it feels like we're scraping a little bit. But I think it will broach some really interesting conversations about how this team should be built. Because look, this is a real discussion that they're going to have to have over the next couple of years because the borough contract is going to be what it's going to be you better be getting value you better be keeping the right pieces you better be making the right rankings when it comes to these decisions um because this is how you continue to stay up there even though you're now saddled with a you know maybe 50 million dollar a year contract or whatever that ends up being and looking like so a fun exercise for us to do as we go through the off season first um let's any other observations on players' personnel uh, from, you know, the little bit of, of work that they did, Jay? Um, nothing major. I did. I I thought the, the catch of the day, Puka Williams, we, we kind of forget. We talk about the fourth wide receiver. Is he a guy that could 
work his way into that spot. I mean, he's so small, but he had an incredible catch. Uh, Kwame Lasseter, uh, the undrafted kid from Kansas, was in running with the ones at time, caught a pass from Burrow. He he had more catches than anybody in that seven on seven. Um, beyond that, not not too much. I know uh, Von Bell had a nice PBU on the first pass that Burrow threw to to Hayden Hurst. But it was, as you said, not even full speed seven on seven. It was, um, it was just kind of getting the, the juices flowing for those guys and, and getting a little man on man work because they could, but it was still a, a little shy of inspiring. Yeah, they're kind of, you know, they're kind of setting the pace of the of the normal week a little bit. You know, they they even had the the scout team out there with the pennies mm-hmm. on, running through plays like they were with the Pittsburgh numbers on them. Doug Rossfeld playing a, a mean middle linebacker with the number fifty one <laughs> penny. Uh, ben Martin was out there roaming the middle, uh, offensive line coach, and and so, you know, again to me the theme of the off season showed itself again in our first look at this last phase. And, and that's they're just not focused on the physical stuff. They're just not they're not trying they're not trying to evaluate. They're not. Like what let's not beat around the bush here. They are not really interested in evalu- evaluating physical talents. A little bit. How you're moving, what are you doing? Are you making a place? I mean, are we really talking about you know, for the ones that were out there, what, four, five runs of seven on seven? Are we going to be making evaluations on who these guys are? No. They are about, and Zach said it yesterday, It's the, the, it continued. It's the theme is communication. It's about all these meetings that they're doing. It's about that translating to them making the right steps, taking the right moves when they get out there on the field and run through the little bit that they do. Who is retaining? Who's understanding what to do? Who's listening? Who's showing up early? Who's doing all the stuff? It is not about evaluation right now. It's just not. And that's by design. That's by their design because they feel like they evaluated what they needed to last year. They're in the same systems, which we'll talk about in a second. It's all already set. So the idea that Oh man, Puka Williams might have earned himself a spot, or he's looking great. <laughs> like, he made one catch. We're just not, they're not going there. Training camp is set for that. They have set up training camp to be that. Okay. They're just not going to do that in this offseason. Some teams need to. Zach Taylor and the staff have needed to in the past. They don't right now. It's part of their luxury, and it's also part of their situation of what last year was for them. I mean, he said a couple things that the one he said it was it's a lot of above the neck work. And that's what it is. You mentioned it's these meetings. He he also allowed that Brian Callahan is on installation number 13 with the offense. They are just they are throwing everything at these guys. And yes, they're expected to retain a lot of it. But it's not even about that as much as when they get into training camp and put it in or if they put something they call a play week seven, week eight, whatever it is. It's not the first time these guys have heard it. They, they may not have repped it. Um, they, they may not be studying it in every meeting, but there, it will be something that, that they remember that, that went in during this period. And that's a, that's a fair trade off. If I, I talked to Jonah Williams a little bit about his thoughts on, on the way that they're handling this. And he, and he said he loves it. And 
I, I think that's a fair trade-off that, yes, they're going to give your body a rest and not beat you up, but you are going to be expected to to learn more and and do the above the work neck or do the above the neck work. You better believe players love it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like the, the seasons are taxing. I, this is a new school philosophy. I mean, they're really, again, I'm not trying to throw a cutting edge thing out here on the staff with this. I mean, they are doing it differently than anybody else is right now. They're also for the most part, situationally a little bit different than most. That said, I mean, I just, it, it's a, it's the way they have sort of treated a lot of things. They've, they've viewed it differently. They've, they know, I think they feel like they know what really resonates with their players and and they know what keeps them engaged and keeps them excited and what keeps them engaged and excited and fresh in December and January, by the way, is not overworking them when you don't have to. And we've seen that play out now as they've reached this next portion. And I expect next week to look as just as light as this one has. And it to be very much the same. I, I agree with you. It's, it's cerebral. It's been a cerebral off season. It's install. It's walking through. There was a long portion yesterday where Burrow wouldn't even throw the ball. He'd just do a fake motion and hold the ball. And, and it's just like, that's because they're, they're just going out there. You know, and when someone asked about Cam Taylor Britt, who had a couple of rookie moments on the field, that was pointed out was he had a great moment in the meeting where he got up with confidence on the whiteboard and was and and knew everything confidently that was stuff that he was you know, that was taught the day before or whatever it was he was talking about something like that and and about how that was really the biggest thing with with cam that that they noticed right now is is that type of stuff with rookies especially it's about it's about retention it's about learning and they're treating it that way and and we'll see maybe they maybe it, it we find a reason that as the season goes along they they that time was missed and and you know they didn't learn what they could have learned there or or something like that um but i also think that they're going to come out of this healthy they're probably not going to wood at that um and no one's going to feel like they were stressed um stressed out from a physical standpoint and for these guys that means a lot to them yeah, and you talked about being cutting edge. I mean, the question is, if they say this is their new standard, they plan on playing into February every year. Obviously, you can't predict that if if they don't. If they fail to make the playoffs, if they lose in the first round, then does next year's offseason look the same with a little more time to get it put together as opposed to this year? Um, I guess that's that's all part of the data they're collecting. They'll see how how the team reacts to this. Obviously, the players do love it, but – um, it's, it is new. It seems like every year we talk about, it's a brand new off season that the, that Zach has never had before. Cause his first year, he's a rookie head coach. He comes in late with the late hiring and the late staff, then COVID, um, cancels the off season. And then last year was kind of a COVID light off season. And now this year with the, the long run, it's he, he still in year four has not had a regular off season program. What is a? I mean, but what is that? Yeah, I mean, granted, it feels like there's been a lot thrown at him. You you left out. Uh, oh, by the way, Joe Burrow's knee rehab was a big part of last <laughs> off season. But you know, that's what is that? I mean, every season is different. Every season has a long list of challenges, and I think theirs this year is just keeping these guys fresh and excited, mm-hmm. and and not feeling worn out because everybody feels worn out after last year a little bit, and, and making sure that they're fresh by the time camp comes around, and really more importantly, by the time next January comes around. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And let's start out with Jay's Got Stats. It's a good place to start with this. Give me your stats on the fact that we have, in Cincinnati here, you have Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, Lou Anarumo, Darren Simmons have all been together now going into their fourth season. I don't know that people realize this, that, that pay enough attention to the coaching cycles around the league. Like it's for coordinators to stick around. Any one coordinator to stick somewhere for a fourth season is so rare. It just doesn't really happen. Um, for even one to do it is remarkable. The fact that you have all four pieces still in place uh, for a fourth straight season is is crazy. And what did you find, Jay? Well, for, I did want to shout out Randy Keller, who who posed this question on Twitter and and brought up the fact that they were all in their fourth year, and he wanted to know what the average tenure is in the NFL right now, and is there anything that correlates to to winning percentage? So I did. I, I went to every team, logged their head coach, their offense coordinator, defense coordinator, looked how many years they've been in their positions. The, the Bengals are one of only two teams where head coach, offense coordinator, defensive coordinator have been in their current positions for four years or more. And if you want to throw in special teams coordinator, because Darren's been here forever, uh, it's still the Chiefs um, because their their special teams coordinator, Dave Tube, is in his 10th year. But you got Andy Reid in his 10th, Eric Bieniemy in his fourth, and Steve Spagnuolo in his fourth. It No one else is even close. Um the Browns have all their guys three years. The Commanders, all their guys three years. That's it. You you look, the average tenure for the offensive coordinators in the league right now is 2.4 years. The average tenure of a defensive coordinator is 2.1 years. So the Bengals are almost double that for both of their coordinators. And then you've got, obviously, Zach in his fourth year. I, I also looked, I was curious how many other times in Bengals history has this happened? And 
only one other time. It didn't happen during the Marvin era. And that was the one where you would thought it would have happened because he was here so long. You just kind of cross him off after four years and he never had a coordinator and defensive coordinator in that same position for four years in a row together. The only other time it happened and it's kind of an asterisk is in the, um, in the Bruce Coslett era. Wow. Because, <laughs> and even it was his, it was from 97 to 2000. It was Bruce Coslett as the head coach, Ken Anderson, as the OC and Dick LeBeau as the DC, but Bruce Coslett quit after week two or week three of the, that fourth year. So they didn't even get through the full four years with, with those three guys in place. So it is, it is extremely rare. I looked at Super Bowl champions and you have to go all the way back to the 06 Colts to find a team that, that won the Super Bowl with a head coach, a defense coordinator and an offense coordinator in their current positions for, for at least four seasons and that there is a little another little asterisk in there. I'm not counting the Cardinals because Cliff Kingsbury is both head coach and offensive coordinator. And he's been there for and defense coordinator Vance Joseph's been there four years. I'm only counting it if it's if it's three different people. Um, but it's still it's it is is very, very rare because we've talked about this. If if you're if you're winning right off the bat and your coordinators are getting plucked, they're becoming head coaches somewhere. And if you're not winning, if there's a lot of losing, the head coach is getting fired and maybe the coordinators too. So it's it's just a it's it's a surprising situation that they find themselves in. And they but I talked to Zach, Brian, and Lou, and and they all talked about how much it means, how beneficial it is, and We'll see. We'll see. so much of it comes down to the communications and expectations, and um, we'll see how that plays out this year. Let's bring in some of that reaction from Brian uh, when you when you talked to him about this while you were taking a break from mowing the grass. Good on you, Jay. Like just <laughs> on the grind, no matter what. Not only that, mowing your buddy's grass, and you took a break, stepped off to do the work. It's just much appreciated. So people enjoy the birds in the background. But uh, here's Brian Callahan on that topic. Does that surprise you that there's only two teams who have OCDC and head coach in place for four years? It actually it does surprise me. Uh, I wasn't. I, it, it struck me uh, when, when you sent that text. I, I guess I think there's like 17 or 18 first and second year head coaches. So I guess that part of it makes sense. But yeah, you know, even even thinking about the mainstays like Pittsburgh and uh, you know. New England and Seattle, like those guys have all changed coordinators, and yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's 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 pretty wild. It's a huge advantage. Well, why is that? Why what what's the advantage? Do you think? Um, just like any time, any, any time that you are working with people, um, and you and you have shared experiences in games and in practice and communicating, it just you end up being able to communicate faster. Uh, you can communicate more efficiently and the expectations of each other uh, with in regards to the workflow and and how you get ready for a game and how you work with your players and everybody knows each other on such a different level that um, I think it just makes it easier to have success and to communicate the things that need to be communicated. Yeah, is it like a a quarterback and a receiver maybe that have been together for a long time and it, it doesn't have to be verbal the communication and you just kind of know what the other one wants i think that's a good analogy you know i think there's there's some truth to the the 
it's, it's probably not necessarily nonverbal for coaches in that sense, but there's yeah. there's just a knowledge and a trust and an expectation of, of how things are going to get done, and and you know that all the the guys that are in charge of those things are doing exactly the way that that the head coach wants it done, and there's um, years of experience of doing it together and working together, uh, and coaching together, and building building the, the roster together. Uh, there's just a lot of things that are all aligned from top to bottom, and I think that's a that's a really unique thing apparently in the NFL. You know, there's only four, there's only two of us that yeah. have that kind of continuity. Yeah, I was I was talking to Paul about that. It's kind of like you know, if if you take off, if you guys would have gone to Super Bowl in year one or you two year two, for example, then one of you guys would probably be gone by now. And then if you do really bad, the coach doesn't last four years. So um, I don't know if it's always been this way. You you mentioned all the first year head coaches, but there's a, I'm, I was surprised by how many first year coordinators there are this year, um, especially on the offensive side. But uh, aside even from the the communication and the advantages for for you guys as coaches. Um, how do you, do you think that's a big deal for the players, or are they kind of used to having changeover and the continuity is not as not as impactful for the players? I think it's incredibly impactful, especially yeah. since you've had a, a rookie quarterback uh, and then a, and then a second year and third year quarterback. I think that's a big deal. And, I mean, yeah. you look at all the guys. I mean, Justin Herbert's on his second set. Two is on like his third. Mm-hmm. These guys that got drafted, and, and I really, really believe that it's hard. It's so hard to play quarterback in the NFL at a high level that to even have a fighting chance, that you got to have some mastery of a system. And it's hard to have mastery of a system if it changes every year, every two years. Yeah. And I, I think you're seeing a little bit of that with with. Uh, what Sean's been able to do in Los Angeles, you know, because really that's Sean's Sean's system, and mm-hmm. he calls it whether his coordinators are there or not. He's the one who does it, and so now you got continuity with players, and you get a chance to develop people too. So it's not now you got guys that have been playing three, four years in your system, and there's some development that occurs because they're doing the same things over and over again. The techniques are being coached the same way, um, and then there's a comfort level with the position coaches. Guys trust them. They, they communicate better. They have hard conversations easier. Um, they can get critiqued easier because they know the guy that they're talking to. And I think those things are invaluable. I don't know how you measure them, but um, it makes me feel good that we have the same group of people coaching our team again for going into year four than, than it would otherwise. And, you know, you're always getting used to new you know, some newness somewhere. There's whether there's rookie players or a new coach or two or whatever. But having the guys in charge that are running the systems on all sides of the ball, um, you, you just there's there's something to that. You know, look, the most important people in the organization being on the same page: GM, head coach, quarterback, staff. Right? Like, hmm. you know, you, you that's you need everyone on the same page. I mean. Duke Tobin, you you could really throw that in there, and Kansas City, you know Brett Veach, you you could throw you could throw those names in there. I, I don't think how much of that is quarterback. Sure, obviously, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Con- Bruce Coslett proves that continuity does not guarantee success. Okay, and his staff, but the bottom line is though, it, it matters. And it, it matters in knowing what exactly you need. It it, ma- it matters in getting the most out of everybody. It, it it matters in a big way. And when you have GM, head coach, all your coordinators, and your quarterback all together now, 
when you throw Burrow in there for his third season, I mean, <laughs> you know, that it just goes, it, it does go a long way and it allows you to do things like this. I mean, you know, Dan Campbell up there in Detroit trying to get figure out their roster can't, and now granted, he's trying to bite knees, so I'm sure they're trying to find a way to sneak in two a days or whatever. But I mean, you know, coaches that are new in their first, second year, they, they're they having to do a lot of different things than the Bengals are having to do right now because they have the advantage of having seen it themselves, of knowing what they're looking for, of not needing to see it again. And that an, turns into an advantage for the players to keep themselves fresh and healthy and, and, and know the system. You don't have to be constantly doing, you know, Install 13, like they said Brian was on yesterday, doing install 40 or whatever, starting fresh or learning from the foundation. I mean, not having to do that um, goes a long way. What do we hear most when we hear why quarterbacks fail? He had four coordinators in four mm-hmm. years, right? Like that's always used. That's the first thing a quarterback says when he sucks. It's the first thing he says is I had and, – and we hear all the time from people that have been in the league that have seen those that are good and, and fade – and those that have success say a similar thing. You can get ruined by a bad situation. And what is a bad situation? One that constantly changes. One that is just constantly in flux. And I think that's a big part of why Burrow has had success outside of his own greatness. He's been put in a situation where everything is stable. And he can do his thing. And he can take ownership. And he, he, he you know, because... The, those relationships matter so much. And uh, so I think that's a big part of um, wh- why the Bengals are where they are right now. Yeah, I mean, Brian points it out. You look at the other quarterbacks or the top quarterbacks in, in Burroughs' class, Herbert's already had a switch of offensive coordinators. Two is on his third offensive coordinator. I mean, the, it, Brian pointed out, to to give yourself a fighting chance in this league because it's so hard to play quarterback well, you you have to master the system. And it's really hard to master a system when it's changing every year, every other year. Um, so that that is a big part of it. And it's it's not just the X's and O's. It's it's having the hard conversations that that need to happen, that where you feel more comfortable because you you've been with this coach for three or four years. And it's expectations and just all the other stuff that that goes along with it there's just this comfort level and it's it's coach to coach it's coach to player it's player to player that the, these these players that have been here these four years with this group are so comfortable with the system they can really help bring the younger guys along and you have a chance to develop the younger guys because they're learning the same thing over and over again. It's only natural. They're going to get better as well. So there's just, there's so many different prongs to the, to the advantages of having the the most important people on the staff in place year after year after year. There's no doubt about it. Um, it's a great, it's going to be a great piece. Uh, it should, I don't know, depending on when you're listening to this, it's already up. It's going to be up soon. Uh, keep an eye out for that uh, up on the athletic also i will have a story up uh i i just i (laughs) people that have listened to the podcast know i'm just fixated oddly on the evan mcpherson clark harris caper that they pulled to to watch the super bowl halftime show where evan got caught on camera and it turns out clark actually let him out and darren simmons was 
mega pissed about it and uh as i found out still, still kind of has a little <laughs> bit still, still not quite letting it go um i talked to all the pieces involved about when did they first come up with the idea when, how did they work it out was there research done was there hiding was there crawling was there a, how what went into all of this and so i have a story up on all of it because i just can't really help myself and uh, and those guys are were great to talk about it clark did say uh Oh, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it, but give me a second. I got to think about what I'm going to say. I don't want to get in any more trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so there's, there's that. It's some good stuff. I did make sure to ask them, each of them, would they do it again? And both answers were fantastic. And so I can't wait to, <laughs> for that story to, uh, to come up. And you, that should be up on the site soon, too. So that's coming your way. All right, let's just take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's bring in Mo Egger, and then after that, we will come back and do our organizational draft. Here's our good friend at ESPN 1530, Mo Egger. We had a long discussion yesterday, Mo. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, it was about a really important topic. I think uh, <laughs> one of the really the, the pivotal ones of this offseason, at least in terms of filling a segment. <laughs> going over in the hour and uh how is how i come to find out after i left our three to four o'clock on tuesday uh after we discussed rollerblade boy which if people are not familiar with rollerblade guys he's a man he's a man he's a grown man. man yeah grown man uh he essentially asks very loudly joe burrow about high, a high school football game that i'm assuming he played in uh and while a young kid is getting his autograph from Joe Burrow with his mom filming right behind him and Burrow does not flinch, continues to sign for the kid and the guy continues to go on anything, anything. And Burrow walks away, <laughs> much to the dismay of a man in a LSU Burrow number nine jersey who gives the look of complete dejection. Uh, when that guy, I think, I think you're right, Mo. I think kind of ruined his opportunity at getting an autograph and walks away. It was a great clip from Joe Daneman, who was who was there. And then after we discussed this, Rollerblade Man called into the show. How'd that go? It went well. I was excited to hear from him. By the way, there is another layer to this that I don't think I've made public that I'll reveal to you here in just a second. But uh, Rollerblade Man called in and. Uh, we had a congenial, fun, friendly conversation. I I'm glad he sort of understood the spirit uh, with what, you know, with, with which we were, you know, doing the whole thing. But I mean, he was, he first launched into this thing about how he's not doing drugs anymore, which great. And he has found God, which to each their own. I did ask him to ask God, what would God have told him to do in that situation? Had he asked, <laughs> um, because I believe God would have said, "Get out of the get out of the like the the personal space of the kid, the kid's mom, of Joe Burrow, 
maybe take off the rollerblades. Uh, I think that's what God would have told him. But you think, you think God's anti-rollerblade? Yeah, <laughs> probably. I don't know. He is for me. Uh, I mean, <laughs> in, the mid-90s, in, in the mid nineties, he wasn't. No. In in nineteen ninety six, I was I was in college. Right, I asked this girl out on a date, and amazingly, she said yes. And uh, but she was in incredible physical shape. I was certainly in far better shape than I am now but not exactly what you would call a physical specimen. And she said to me, I said, what do you want to do? And she said, let's go rollerblading. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> on, a, on a first date, we're going to go rollerblading. Are you out of your mind? So no. Um, so my one chance to go rollerblading, I didn't own rollerblades. They, you know, exceeded my budget at that time. So that was my one chance to go rollerblading. Um, the guy seemed to have pretty innocuous intentions. I feel like maybe he understands now that the timing and just the look of the whole thing was not great, but, but I don't, you know, I mean, even at the time I, I didn't necessarily think the guy meant ill. I just, I thought it was a little selfish, man. I mean, because if you watch the video, there's a, a seven or eight year old little boy who's got his football signed. And, you know, anybody who has ever been in that situation, whether it's, with a star athlete that you just admire more than anybody else or some random player. Um, when, when that moment happens and you're getting that autograph, if you've ever been in that position and most of us who are sports fans have, it's awesome. man. you, you may, I don't know if that kid had ever met a professional football player before, much less Joe fricking burrow. And, and maybe he's got, you know, cases of balls and crap signed at home. I have no idea, but the look on the kid's face was of pure joy and elation and happiness. And then you hear the kids, I assume his mom and she's grabbing video. And it's this awesome, pure moment that happened very organically that Joe captured. And then in the middle of it is a guy on rollerblades holding up his phone, badgering Joe Burrow about some football game played nine years ago. I just get out of the way, man. Like you don't need to be there. Okay. That's, that's not the moment for you. It's, it would be one thing if Joe was signing for adults. It would be one thing if Joe was signing for a pack of people, but it was like this, what should have been unique, brief one-on-one -on -one encounter between a star quarterback and a little boy. Still that innocent age when these guys are absolute heroes. And then you got a dude on rollerblades asking about the feral dragons. It just, and I, I think the guy realizes that maybe that wasn't the best place to start in on Joe. And the guy, you know, he wasn't heckling Joe. He wasn't being mean to Joe. He just wanted a shout out, right? Like what he could have said is, hey, remember the Fairland game? Oh, uh, yeah, cool. And Joe signs the ball. Or, hey, Joe, I went to Fairland. Oh, yeah, cool. Great. Yeah, I, I threw eight touchdowns against him. Instead, he's like badgering him with his phone. And then the rollerblade thing just gave it this weird look because the guy looked like he was on the verge of falling down. And then if he does, that's a whole different scene. Then it completely takes away from the, the moment between Joe Burrow and the little boy. And so my basic premise is this. If a kid is getting an autograph, okay, from anybody, but especially Joe Burrow, get the F out of the way, okay? Just <laughs> get the F out of the way. Now, now. Now I what? have been given some information <laughs> okay. because we did mention that one of the more interesting dynamics was the one between the guy rocking. If you watch the video, there's a guy in a, an LSU Joe Burrow jersey holding a Bengals helmet. And it looks like momentarily as Joe is making his way over to the little boy, that Joe Burrow jersey guy is like, I am about to hit it big, right? I am. I am 
absolutely about to get my helmet signed by Joe Burrow. I have been given the following information. I'm going to read a specific text message. Oh, boy. The guy in the Burrow LSU jersey was oddly pushy waiting for Burrow. Joe stopped right after he crossed the street to talk to Lou Anarumo for maybe 30 seconds. Dude in the LSU jersey yells, quote, we've been waiting here since 10 this morning. You're killing us, Joe. <laughs> Burrow never even made eye contact with the guy after that. So in the video, if you watch it, it feels like LSU guy is about to get his helmet signed. And then Joe just blows him off. Right. He treated me like all the other non rollerblade girls did when I was in college. Just <laughs> boo walks right past. Okay. Joe is not good at eluding uh, on rushing uh, defensive ends the way he just wheeled past this dude. It was great. Um, you kind of felt bad for him, but also, eh, come on, let you know, get out of the way. Let Joe just sign for the kids. And I thought we speculated that maybe Rollerblade guy ruined it for Joe Burrow LSU Jersey guy. As it turns out, there's a very good possibility that Joe Burrow LSU Jersey guy ruined it for himself. Now here's the I, well. This whole thing ahead, is Jay. a bigger yeah. I guess this is a bigger a snapshot of the bigger issue in society because when he called in, he didn't think he had done anything wrong, and it that happened so much. It was almost he was taking video of Joe Burrow and talking to him and trying to get the reaction, and people were so into their phone they they're rude to other people without realizing they're being rude to other people because they're so focused on the screen. And I, I do, I do think this, this wasn't like a, a guy that rips a foul ball away from a kid or a guy that's right. intentionally jerky to a kid. I don't, I, I, I heard him call into your show. I, I don't think he was trying to be that guy. He just ended up being that guy. Cause he was trying to, he said, do you have anything to say to the Fairland high school? And like, like Joe's going to answer that. And he was just trying to have that one-on-one -on -one action on camera, yeah. not just oblivious to the fact that there's a little kid right in front of him having the moment of his life. And I, I did want to point out too, that I've actually written about that Fairland game because when Burrow threw for 525 against Baltimore, that was the most yards he'd ever played or thrown for in a game. It topped the 519 he had against Fairland. Wow. How about that? So now there's going to be like Baltimore Ravens fans from nine years from now holding up their phones going, hey, Joe, you got anything to say to those truck drivers who were in the defensive backfield for the Ravens that day? Anything to say to that? I don't think the guy had uh, ill intentions. I don't think he meant any harm. I just, to me, there's, there is something there. You know, I've, I've watched moments like that and without my phone and, and you guys have as well going to training camp, right? You see uh, these relatively organic interactions between, players and kids and sometimes players and adults, but mainly players and kids. And it's something to behold. It's something cool because a, you appreciate the athlete taking their time and, and being friendly and, and B, I think again, we could all, you know, put ourselves in the shoes of the kid, you know, at some point uh, that was many of us. Um, and so I think there's something about just an adult pilfering the moment. And I, I hate that, you know, many, many years ago, um, my, a buddy of mine and I, went to St. Louis to go see the Reds play and he brought his, you know, seven or eight year old kid. It's 2010. So I think eight years old. And we go, we go to the game. We go to the Reds uh, Cardinals game in, in St. Louis. And lo and behold, uh, he was staying at the, the Reds team hotel. I was staying in a much um, less expensive place across the river. But anyway, I, uh, I, I go over and I meet them and we have breakfast and the Reds players are like getting on the bus and my buddy's kid 
had, I think he was getting his glove signed. I think it was his glove. And Jay Bruce comes over and it could not have been nicer. Could not have been nicer to my friend's kid. And as he's signing his glove and having this, you know, 20 second conversation about, oh, do you play baseball? That sort of thing. Here comes a dude with one of those binders. He's holding Ugh. it like a guy, a pizza, a pizza delivery man would hold a pizza box. He's got this binder of all the cards and he like sort of like edges himself in. And it's like, what are you doing, man? Like how, what, what, what happens in your brain where you're like, here's a little kid talking to a big leaguer and it's his first ever big leaguer in all likelihood. And I got to bring over my binder of cards that I'm going to put on the internet, man. Like I just, I hate that so much. I, I was even talking yesterday about Reds Fest and I go to Reds Fest every single year back when they had Reds Fest. Um, and I've never stood in the autograph line, but I, but I see people like lugging in equipment bags full of crap. And then there's always like a, you know, a 10 year old kid with, with his or her ball. And it's like, you know, you're, you're gumming up the line because you have your equipment bag full of stuff. This should be about children. It should be about kids. It should be about giving them a chance for that interaction. And again, I have autographs. I have stuff that people have signed that I've acquired as an adult, but I just, for the life of me, I, I can't imagine just kind of stealing the moment. And and yesterday I, I just, I kind of felt bad for the kid and, and the kid's mom, like on, on that mom's cell phone video that captured that memory for the rest of their lives is going to be feral and dragons guy. <laughs> I don't think the guy meant, meant any harm. I, I really, and I, I feel like at the end of the conversation, he's probably like, yeah, yeah, okay. I could have picked a different time. I don't think he meant any harm, but that kid doesn't get that moment back. And yeah. as stupid as that sounds, that kid doesn't get that moment back. And that sucks. I, I think, you know, Jay, you mentioned this and I'm glad that we're reflecting on society as a whole through this <laughs> video, uh, but I do, but I, I do like that. I, I that we can talk about this element of the way players are treated by fans now and how different that is um, than it used to be. And, and I don't want to be, you know, look, I'm 41. I, I, when I was a kid, things were much different. Yeah, we know, but like for it's the way that I think in a lot of ways, these athletes um, on social media and in person because of that are not really treated like people. Yeah, you know, and not really viewed as people. They're not viewed as humans. The way they're talked to, the way they're talked about, the way that they're often treated. Like, imagine saying to just a rando person um, that was what that you wanted to talk to. It was walking down the street who had gone by. You're killing me. You're not <laughs> yeah. gonna stop. You're killing me. Or just yelling something about something at them while they're doing something else and. And I just think that was always what I took when I when when we would have long podcast conversations, even when I first started um, about players and the way fans wanted somebody cut or a coach fired or or something done with every kit fire everyone right that it, that mentality it, it, I always I always fought back against that because it was like you don't see these people as human beings like we're lucky enough to have the access to do and it changes your perspective when you actually know them or not even know them just see them understand them a little bit as human beings like i just think we've so much gotten culturally into a world of this person is just a thing to me it's not it's not even a now you're not even a person you're just a, an item in space that i can treat how i want to and and i just think that it's 
it is sort of a very microscopic, funny, granular version of kind of maybe a bigger thing about how athletes are treated by fans. Whether we're talking about the way they get yelled at when they walk off after a loss or in another team's building or people throw things at them. Like that stuff keeps happening more and more. And the way they're just not treated like people playing a game. And I think that to me becomes a frustrating element of it. Yeah. And, you know, I've. I've been more cognizant of that in recent years because you talk about how we talk about uh, these guys and, and we talk about them like they're assets and commodities and numbers on a spreadsheet. And I hate that. Right? I, I, I hate doing that. It's, it's why um, it's why I hate, and you have to do it. You certainly have to do it in the NFL because there's a cap. I, I hate really ever factoring how much money an athlete makes when we talk about their production or their ability or what they contribute to a team. And it's, it's always been really interesting to me. And, and look, I, I, we're going to do that with Joe Burrow in a couple of years. That's coming. And I, you know, I mean, it's, I hate it, but yeah, th there's a way that we talk about athletes that really sort of strips away what they are as human beings. And I, I don't like that. And I don't think that that was what we did, you know, two decades ago or three decades ago. Uh, speaking of, of human beings, I think Paul went away. <laughs> I mean, I think this is, it, it kind of goes to social media even. It's not just athletes. It's the way people talk to people. You, yeah. you see them online and more so than face to face. And there's this disconnect. And so it's the same way with athletes where, yeah, they see them in person when they go to the games, but more often than not, it's on TV or it's on social media. And there's just, you're right. It's it, you, you, people are starting to say things face to face that they would never say before because they're so used to saying it online. There's that shield there. And it, it is, it is disheartening because a lot of these guys do want to interact with the fans and especially the young fans and the, the, the people like that just, it, they ruin it. They, they make it harder. They, they make a lot of these guys shut down and just say, I'm not going to do it at all. Yeah, and it's it's worth mentioning because we talked about Joe um, blowing off the dude wearing his jersey. Um, Joe then walked across the street and certainly looked like he had the intention of signing more autographs on the other side of the walkway for children, for mm -hmm. kids. And you know, again, I, I'm I'm all about those moments. I mean, I, I you know, it's it's been many, many, many years since I went to a baseball game to go get a guy's autograph. But I just I remember what it was like being a kid at Riverfront when you would uh, either be lucky enough to have blue seats or figure out the best way to run past the um, 89 year old uh, usher at the top of the ramp, and you would go down and have a ball, and and maybe maybe one of the players would sign, and then you would be elbowed out of out of the way by like a, a guy in his 40s, and it's like. Even then, it's like, man, what are you, what are you doing? I just, I don't. I always say, uh, adults always ruin stuff for kids. Adults ruin everything, and uh, yeah, I, that kid is probably not aware of of rollerblade guy. But just that that exchange yesterday, just I don't know, man. If that was if that was my kid, I'd be a little bit upset, and maybe unjustifiably so. But I would have been a little bit upset that, hey, man, you know, you're sort of like you're stealing the moment here. I don't like it when people steal the moment from kids, and I certainly don't like it when people. Uh, treat others poorly. And and again, I, 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 I have to emphasize, I don't think the dude that we're talking about here meant any harm. I don't mm. think he meant any harm to Joe. I don't think he meant any harm to the kid or his family, but you know, he ruined the moment. 
And we fixed society's problems just right here, the three of us. Congratulations <laughs> to us. <laughs> That's why podcasts exist. Yeah, because it takes, because once we get, you give us 20 minutes of a conversation and we'll get to the bottom of all of society's problems eventually. It all roots back to social media, Mo. It's what it always is. <laughs> social media is ruining everything. Social media Whoa. and video games. Video games, phones. <laughs> I will say, back in like when I was in college, like 1999. And people were starting to get phones, and it was like a like the new technology or whatever flips or whatever they had those little like small ones. And I was I was like the resistor. I was the only one that didn't have one by the time I graduated college because I was like, no, it was more a joke. I like to use as a joke because it was funny. And no, these things are going to kill us eventually. They're eventually going to ruin us. And it was like my <laughs> dumb joke that I used to just like give people a hard time. I did not know how much I would actually be like, you know, maybe prophetic in the way that people maybe view phones as ruining us. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a we lot don't have there. to go there. We don't have to go there. <laughs> I'm just telling a dumb story about phones. We don't have to well, go well, there. Well, you know, it's what's what's interesting <laughs> is like so I you know, I come home from work and I usually get home at six thirty and bedtime for my daughter is 8.15-ish, 8.30. And for those two hours, I do everything I can to leave my phone somewhere where I can't get it because I, I want to give my daughter and my family my undivided attention. And so I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a text that I've returned two hours later or a phone call and I go, hey, look, I haven't been around my phone, I'm pushing my kid on the swing, we have dinner, blah, blah, blah. And the response is like, really? <laughs> what what do you and it's like yeah you know kind of like having face-to-face -face interaction with my family right i mean there's there's an addiction to it that now people don't understand when you can actually step away from it and not use it i mean i've had friends of mine friends of cl people close to me i know you guys like to make fun of my twitter right people close to me on monday i was off and i didn't tweet i think i sent a tweet back to somebody i didn't tweet and I had friends of mine ask me, are you okay? Because I hadn't tweeted. And I'm like, that's what you identify me with? Like, that's yeah. really? Why don't you just ask me how I'm doing? You know, like, are you okay? You haven't tweeted today. Like, I'm fine. I got stuff going on. I'm hanging out with my kid. I've been out of town. I'm doing, you know, what What are we doing? That is a very sad commentary about me. It's a really sad commentary about me. But it's also, I think, um, a bit of a commentary about how tethered we are to our phones. and. Um, I think sometimes much to our detriment. When uh, your daughter is old enough to get her first phone, will she give you two hours yeah. a night? <laughs> <laughs> you kidding me? Uh, no, good, good God. No, <laughs> there's oh, geez. That's when an the, entirely different cover. Yeah. Okay. When the phone gets given is going to be a, a hard one. Because it's there's just going to be such a push. Hopefully things feel different. Maybe we get maybe the pendulum swings a little bit back and we get a little less phone involved as like our kids end up being at that age. We're five, six, seven, eight years away from that. However long 20, 30. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> hopefully that ends up being the case. Cause I agree with you. I mean, I just think that that relationship with the internet, with your image, with your phone is, is a, is such a big part of that forms a lot of the ways that, that people grow up. And that's, that for good, bad, or indifferent, like if it's used well, obviously it can be, it can be great, but man, managing that can be really scary. I know it is for me as a parent. 
Yeah, and look, I mean, we we all exist in the world where social media is a big part of what we do, right? So, like, I'm I'm as as guilty of it as anybody. But it's like I was thinking about this. Um, the the uh, Braves win the World Series last year. There's a moment in one of those postseason games where they cut to the fans behind the Atlanta dugout, and I I, I like screen grabbed it with my phone. Of on I paused it. Literally every person's holding up their phone. Mm-hmm. Literally every person is holding up their phone. And I'm like, you know, there's something. Yes, you're going to capture that moment. But there's something in the moment you're missing. There's something in the moment that you're. And, and I, I've been, you know, for if, if guilty is the right word, I've, I've been guilty of doing that. But like there's there's something in that moment that you're just missing. And so it's like, <clears throat> again, uh, not to go too serious, but like with our with our kid, with our daughter, there, there have been really some really cool moments that neither my wife or I have captured because our first impulse isn't to, okay, do this. Okay. Go to video, uh, do a hit, hit the button. Like, I just want to see it. I want to experience it. And that matters a lot. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like when it comes to interactions with, with athletes, like rollerblade man, let's bring it back to him. If he shows up without his phone and waits a beat. And then as Joe is done, just says, Hey, Joe, uh, eight touchdowns against Fairland and it's not recorded. There's a pretty decent chance. I'm thinking Joe's like, Oh yeah, man, that was great. And the dude gets his interaction and he can tell his buddies, but he can't show it to him. Like I would rather have, I'd rather have that than the, what he did. Um, I, I feel like the, the phone, as much as it's supposed to kind of bring us closer to people, it's, it's sort of pushed us away because if somebody sticks a phone in my face, I'm a hell of a lot less likely to talk to them than if they come up and say something to me. And I got to think in that moment yesterday, maybe Joe Burrow is the same way. I just compared myself to Joe Burrow, by the way. Obviously, <laughs> obviously in every, in every way, uh, which is really a great t- transition into Jay. Did you count Mo's tweets this week? Oh, great. I, I did. He, he had one Oh five. So he was only three off of last week, despite taking a day off. Despite, despite taking off day. Monday off. Yeah. Glad to hear you're okay. And survived, uh, and survived <laughs> that day, by the way, uh, Mo, yes. uh, I was going to ask you something about doubling down on hot takes, but we, I, I think we've, we've, we've solved much grander <laughs> problems today. So we'll just, we'll just call it a day and move on. And, uh, I look forward to talking to you next week here. Uh, I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yep. Thanks Talk Mo. to you later, buddy. All right, great to uh, catch up with Mo. And, you know, sometimes you just, you just let it go. What do we say? We say when we do these segments with Mo, sometimes we just, you just got to let it go. Just, 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 just let it be what it is, you know? Let it flow. And, and uh, today we, uh, we, we fix society. <laughs> There's one thing about that rollerblade guy that I think is overlooked. And as, as someone that goes to concerts a lot and I – I don't understand why people take video as they're jumping around and and going crazy because that's a worthless video. Rollerblade guy's video is going to be horrible. The way he's spinning back and forth, that's not going to be a great video. So he and and also I think uh, the little kid's mom. I kind of to my point. I think she's so focused on watching her son get the autograph and on videotaping herself. I bet she wasn't even aware of Rollerblade Guy, and she won't be until she watches the video, and she's going to be like, where was this guy? Oh, I'm sure. I, I mean, look, if that was my kid with her hero, I don't see anything else other yeah. other than that. So I think you're probably right. Um, all right, let's dive into this organizational draft. I'm excited to do it. It's hard. 
I, I challenge people listening to this to do it themselves, do it along with us, and you tell me what you think. Because, you know, when you add in coaches, it's like, it's almost like people ask this a lot. Who's most responsible for the success? Is it the staff? Is it the front office? Is it just Joe Burrow? Which players are most responsible? And if you're going to continue, you're trying to build for the next five years, um, who is going to help you overcome the Burrow contract that you're going to have to find great value in and pick the right pieces to surround him with? So again, reminder of the ground rules, any member of the family, Brown family is off limits. They're here. They're part of our what who you got on your team already. Mike Brown on down, Katie Blackburn, Troy Blackburn, uh, Elizabeth Blackburn, Caroline Blackburn, any member of the family, PB, all of them. Uh, and then Joe Burrow, already on both of our teams. We are starting after that. Now, Jay, uh, what should we do to decide the first pick real quick? Hmm. I think uh how about let's let's just you go first. Okay, I like that. Yeah, how's that work? <laughs> um even the first pick is a tough one. I'm I'm kind of I'm torn between Jamar Chase and Zach. And I think I'm gonna go Jamar Chase. Is is even though Zach is the one that put this whole thing together and the whole culture I I think Jamar is far above the mean at what he does, more so than Zach. Not saying Zach hasn't done a great job, but I think other coaches could could come in and, and, and replic- replicate it to some degree. Um, Jamar Chase is just a generational talent. He's young. Um, if we're talking five years, that you can keep that guy. Um, at least, then yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with him. I agree. I have him number one on my board too. I don't have it as close. I I, I think you keep Burrow and Chase together, and you're gonna be in every game. Yeah, like you you, you keep and and follow the money. The, the, when I kept thinking about this, I kept thinking follow the money. Teams value what they pay for. They show you what they value. The, Jamar Chase is gonna make thirty million dollars plus per year at some point. Somewhere, probably here. And there's a reason that he'll make that much money, that him and Burrow will take up, you know, 40 or 50 and then 30, you know, of your salary cap at some point soon uh, because they're worth it. Because when you have them, it works. Look across the league, the way that these receivers are being paid, the true game changers, the true number ones, not the depth pieces, the depth pieces you can rotate through a little more. The true ones are getting paid because there's we talk so much about how there's so many receivers, so many good receivers. I think there's still a finite amount of truly game-changing greats. And to me, that's where Jamar Chase comes in, and you have him as number one. I'm with you on that. I would do the same thing. My number two is not Zach. Hmm. Um, I am going to pick Duke Tobin. Here's why. It if you did not have Duke, it is hard to come in here and gain the faith of the family. A true football dude who knows what the heck he's doing 
and has been given the ability to run this show the way he sees fit is not is going to be insanely hard to replace if you did not have him. Okay? Now, most people don't even think of him because he's always been here. But he's as close. I mean, he, you almost could have considered him part of family when we set the ground rules here. And I often do. But that conduit to being in charge of football operations and having that GM that's a, that's a, that's a great fit, knows what he's doing, knows how has knows how to have relationships with everybody above and below and and look say what you want to there's been strings of poor drafts everybody has some strings of poor drafts there's also been some huge wins and they have been on fire lately in building this team and seems to have found you know certainly found a fastball in the last 3 years and so for me i i would um i would pick Duke Tobin yeah, and it's a, he was my three behind Zach, just because, yes, there's other great GMs out there, but if they were to come here, they are not going to be able to operate in the manner they're used to operating. It's, exactly. it's a totally different situation, and, and Duke knows it inside and out, and he's done a good job with it. So I do think that that is a, a solid number two, and I'll, I'll, do I'll go back to— Do I get the snake? Do I get the snake? Yeah, you can. Yeah, we'll do the snake. Okay. Um yeah. This is actually hard too because I, <laughs> I I don't know. I'm really I'm kind of my I'm up between the two. I, I don't want to not pick another player to go with Burrow. <laughs> I don't want to go with the GM. And the, but you keep what did we just say? The GM, the coach, and the quarterback win it for you, right? Mm-hmm. You know I love me some Trey Hendrickson. Okay. And I and and you need a pass rusher and he's young and he's great but you know you also can find them. You're taking a chance if you if you if you were telling me you were going to lose your head coach um to come in and and be able to continue to have the relationships uh that you want to have it can go crazy poor. Um and we've we've seen that here in the 90s. We've seen that it just it can it can go sideways in a hurry. You can absolutely lose everything. And would you lose Joe Burrow? Hmm. Don't forget about that relationship and how important that is to him. Okay, you bring in a new coach that's going to be the primary person that Joe has to answer to. You're taking a lot of chances. As much as I love Trey Hendrickson and having, and I want to make sure you have a pass rusher. Um, I'm I'm going to take Zach Taylor. So I have Duke Tobin and Zach Taylor on my squad. Jay, you got to go so, find a new coach and a GM. Congratulations. <laughs> well, I'm just going to promote Brian. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got to get him first. You haven't drafted him yet. You're right. You're right. Um, <laughs> I am, I'm going to stick with players here. I, I, I know the value of the, the, the scouts and uh, the other coaches, but you're right. Hendrickson, what this game is, has become is why I'm going to take these two guys and, and Trey Hendrickson, both of them for the same reason. They're young. They're ascending. Uh, Hendrickson was a huge difference maker. Um, so so he's going to be my second round pick, fourth overall. And then, I don't know, you, people might be surprised. I'm going to go Jonah Williams. And it's it's more about positional value. I, I do feel he's an ascending player. I don't. He's not top of the line at his position. But you better have a left tackle if, if you're going to protect Joe Burrow and, and keep this thing going. And I just I, I think he's moving in the right direction. He lost the rookie year. He, he's he's maybe started a little slower than people expected, but that position is so important. 
And I, I just, I think there's better days ahead for Jonah. And if you can lock up that guy as your left tackle for five years, that's, I think he's worth taking this high. Okay. Jonah Williams. I, I, that's, um, I had the hardest time figuring out when, what to do with the offensive lineman. Mm. Like as I, when I was trying to make my rankings, I really was struggling with that. Like I just, because you need them. It's not all of them have, you know, whether you're talking about Karis, he's a little older. You're, you're going to be taking, you'd be taking yeah. him into his thirties. You're talking about Kappa. He's younger. So maybe he's, but he's a guard Collins. I mean, what do we really know what he's going to be like for the next five years? You know, I don't think you can necessarily count on him a hundred percent. And he is a little older too. Um, you know, that, that becomes really hard for me. Um, <laughs> so now my pick next, I, my next two picks, I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to go, you know, I wish I had Jamar Chase. <laughs> um, it kind of, I don't, I don't want to overpay for T Higgins because I now don't have Jamar Chase. Um, this is really unfair. Like I, I really, this is really unfair. I really don't, I don't like this at all, because um, I really would like to have Jamar Chase on my team, uh, but I'm going to really count on that culture and that GM to go find me uh, another great receiver. I guess at this point, um, I, I'm going to go with, I think the core. I'm, I'm going to really focus on this culture stuff, <laughs> and I'm going to get called mm-hmm. out for this. I'm going <laughs> Sam Hubbard, Sam Hubbard, the defensive burrow. Burrow's best friend, like I'm building around the Burrow core with everybody he has the best relationships with that that set the culture here. Because if you put talented players in and the culture's right, they can take off. So I'm counting on that. Culture setter Sam Hubbard, along with having Duke and Zach to do all of that with Burrow. So I'm counting on that. I'm taking Hubbard. Uh, and after that, look, I- I'm taking Cheeto. Uh, corner so important. His contract is unbelievably awesome when you consider the level he plays at. He's still pretty young. You, you got him for seven mil. I mean, considering what top corners are getting paid, the value that you get in Cheeto, uh, I-, I will take him and build my defense uh, around that against a relentless edge setter and and my cut my number one corner right now yeah i had both those guys on i had sub say i'm farther down um, i assumed i and i but, thought you I, i'm just that's uh i know people are gonna call me out on that it's just <laughs> i know i know i'm just a, i'm just a molar honk i know i get it <laughs> so I, I mean since i have jamar i'm gonna take t i mean i'm gonna keep burrow wow. and in t and jamar together you, you can put whoever you want in the slot there and that's not to not to criticize Tyler Boyd, but I, I think that's going to get expensive if you're going to try to pay them. And, and, you know, you talked about, we saw there's so many, there's only so many game changers and can you afford to have a top five, top three paid quarterback and a top three, top five paid wide receiver. Green Bay wasn't big enough for Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Kansas City wasn't big enough for Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes. Can the Bengals make this work? I don't know, but I'm going to pair Higgins with Chase here. And then I'm I'm going to skip the coordinators. I'm going to go Frank. 
I just think wow, you, you you have this offensive line that you've got so many young guys that he can develop. And he, you look 2018, not a good offensive line. They have the AFC rushing leader in Joe Mixon. 2021, not a good offensive line. They go to the Super Bowl. He finds a way to to make things work with less talent. If if you can start stacking these draft picks and, and developing them and, and and come up with a really good O line, I, I think Frank can be a huge difference maker. And I just if I'm going Jonah, then I'm going Frank too because I, you're you're going to need help on that offensive line. And I just think he's he's one of the best. <clears throat> In the league, I think Brian and Lou do a great job. I'm not sure you would say they're one of the best coordinators in the league, but I I do think Frank is one of the best offensive line coaches in the league, and so therefore I'm going to take him. Wow, uh, yeah, I mean, I I it all makes sense. I mean, the offensive line coach is the, you know probably the second most important coach on the team, and certainly we know when it comes to protecting Burrow, that's going to be a huge deal. So I yeah I I, I get it. Um, the, here's another one that's on that's on the top of my board right now that I'm like questioning my own ranking on, and because we don't know anything. But when you talk about value, when you talk about position versatility, mm-hmm. when you talk about you know potential, I mean, what are we talking about with Dax Hill in two years? Who, who is he? He could stink. And I could look really bad. But if he's good, if he lives up to even a little bit of the potential in the era of Burroughs contract, he is super valuable at that rate. So I'm going to take a chance. No risk it, no biscuit, and go Dax Hill as I build my defense. I'm yet to give Burrow an offensive player. I hope he doesn't hate me. I'm a terrible GM. <laughs> but don't worry, Joe. I'm not your GM. Duke Tobin is. So it, it, you can blame him. It's uh, it's owner. It, he'll blame ownership, uh, which is me. So Dax Hill to my team. I, I should give him an offensive player. Um, and he, he's going to need a protector. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Kappa. I know it's a guard, but I know he wants protection up the middle. And Cap is still young. It's a very reasonable mid-tier contract that they can handle. He's super solid, a solid piece on the line when you're just trying to be at average across the board. Uh, so, so give me Kappa and, and plug him in there. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even have him on my list. I didn't have Frank so. on my list. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we do this. Yeah, exactly. Um, I feel like I need a defensive guy. I don't know. I have plucked your defense. I have, yeah, I I have really hurt you. I, I love the Dax Hill pick. You, you, they just spent a first-round pick on the guy. Yeah. He's in their plans for five years. There's no reason he shouldn't be in our plans for five years. Um, so, yeah, I had him up there pretty high. If there anybody they take in the first or second round outside Jackson Carmen, maybe, uh, should be, for the last few years, should be in the, the plan here. Um I don't know. I'm I'm torn. I've already got Hendrickson. I, I had Osai on my list for the same reason. I, mm-hmm. I we don't know what he is yet, but you 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 he's young. He was he looked great in the 
what we saw of him last year, but I've already got Hendrickson. I, I think I'm going to go DJ Reader. I just, he means so much to this team. He's still young enough where he's not going to be too far past the, the age of 30 um, when this five years is up. Defensive tackles are important. I, I think three technique is maybe a little more important than the run stuffer, but I just think DJ brings the intangibles, brings the leadership, and I need some more defense on, on this list here. So I'm going to make him my first pick in this this section. Ah, then I'm stuck. I don't know. I, I'm really, really tempted to go Evan McPherson. This would be, what, my seventh-round pick. The Bengals took him in the fifth. <laughs> he was such a difference maker last year. Um, I don't know. I don't. Do I pull the trigger? Yeah, I'll do it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go Evan McPherson. I just yeah. think, young guy, maybe he can affect a game more than anybody else. Um, and it wasn't too big. The moment wasn't too big for him at any point as a rookie. He's only gonna get more mature, more comfortable. So I'm gonna stick him in there as my seventh pick. I. I- he is right near the top of my board right now. So I, <laughs> I was right with you. It was a ma- I again. The organizational pieces, the coaches, and then when do you, where do you drop in the value and what Evan mm. brings? Like these are all really interesting discussions um, when you're trying to form what what matters and you're trying to think about what really matters and who you trust and who you trust to be worth it for five years, which is a long. Maybe we should have done it a little shorter, but uh, you know mm. I think it, that you're you're talking about the duration of a contract. Speaking of, um. I'm going to take Logan Wilson uh, just because, and I, I don't like doing it at linebacker, but you've still got part of these five years on the rookie deal. Uh, it, he's not going to break the bank. He's such a big piece of what they're doing defensively. And I'm clearly saying, give me Burrow in a defense, and uh, and and that's how I'm going to approach this. Um, and I think you give me Logan Wilson for the next five years. And and I and I feel pretty good about that. I this this gets really hard for me because you, I wasn't expecting you to take both Jamar and T because I think that is a financial <laughs> impossibility. I don't understand how how owner Jay Morrison is going to pull this off. I, I, Jay, what can you show me your balance sheet in two years, please? <laughs> The one I show threw me, together in five minutes. Yeah, show, yeah. <laughs> show me, show me what Jamar T and Joe Burrow look like in twenty twenty five, please. <laughs> I want to see that, and then show me the rest of your team. All right, that's all I'm saying. I wasn't expecting to not be able to get either one, uh, <laughs> and I wasn't planning on over paying, you know, whatever T is going to get when we're talking about he's going to be up in that 30 range. It's like you just you just flip it, you mm-hmm. find draft picks, you develop those. That's been the case over the years with a lot of quarterbacks that have been great, um, unless you have the true number one, like I made the case for Jamar being at the top of my board, but you stole him from me. So <laughs> so my last, my next one, I think I'm just going to continue to, I'm going to continue to go defense, I think. I think I'm just going to keep building the defense and Burrow's going to hate me. But, you know, because the names, the offensive names on my board, right? I mean, they're the obvious ones. Collins. We're talking about Karras. We're talking about Tyler Boyd, you know, who's got two years left on his deal. That's reasonable, but he's getting older. Um, I mean, are we going to 
believe in Hayden Hurst without seeing him yet? Am I going to pick a running back, an aging running back? No. Like, what pieces are you really going to add to assure winning? When I look on the defensive side of the ball, though, I still see winning pieces out here that are that are young hmm. and in manageable contracts. So I'm going to pick between these two, and I'm going to add in B.J. Hill. Hmm. Uh, I just I think the importance of the rush of a, of a real three up the middle is just huge. Uh, I think he's I think he's he's young. He's an ascending player. He he may outplay that contract. I don't know. We'll see how good he ends up being. But I think giving him more opportunity to be what he has been at this point in the in the sample size we've seen from him is exciting. And that was really close for me between him uh, and Hilton. Um, but I ended up going with BJ Hill just because building the trenches, right? Building the trenches. All right. I'm I'm gonna go with Lou. I just I Brian and Zach are kind of feel like a, a tandem there. And I just I think Lou is on the rise. He waited so long to get a coordinator job and just the job he did last year. Um you almost throw out the first two years where he was he had hardly anything to work with. And then once they start spinning in free agency, you see what he's been able to to put together. And yeah, they weren't a a dominant defense all year, but they were a team that that found a way to to react what the other team was doing, and a team that found a way to come up with with plays at the end of the game to win games. Um, and I'm running out of salary cap room, so the coaches don't <laughs> count against that. So I'm gonna, I'm going to go two coaches here. Actually, I'm going to go Lou, and then this one might surprise you. You may not even have had this one on your list, but it kind of goes to what what Brian was talking about, what everybody was talking about with my story on the continuity. Um, I think Troy Walters is a rising star oh. as a coach. Uh, he's the only coach that Jamar and T. Higgins have known. You keep that group together. Um, you you keep him from being plucked. I mean, I don't know. We didn't write out all the ground rules, but we're saying five years. If if that means he can't be plucked as a, a coordinator somewhere else or uh, uh, some other sort of promotion, um, I, I think he's got a lot more value there than people realize. Yeah, Troy hates this pick. <laughs> oh just, yeah, yeah. You just stuck him as a wide receivers coach <laughs> for the next five years. And I don't think anybody sees him that way. Uh, <laughs> uh, an outstanding coach. That's it. That's interesting. You know the the J philosophy is like, hey, look, I'm going to build around Burrow and the receivers in as many ways as possible. I'm going to keep them mm-hmm. together. I'm going to keep their coach. I'm going to keep Burrow. And, and I, I've kind of gone with the defense a little bit. Um, so I I am going to go. See, it's it's hard when you get into five years. You just I, you don't want too many guys that are all the way up into their thirties for too long. Um, it, you, you'd like to keep continuity. The, the thing with Brian Callahan is Dan Pitcher is a rising star right behind mm-hmm. him as a quarterbacks coach, and it would be I think an easy answer if slash when Brian Callahan becomes a head coach. I think that I'm not going to call it grooming. I don't know that. But it feels like a lot of that is kind of in place uh, for a guy who could be an offensive coordinator of the future here, a really smart dude who's done a ton of stuff in the building. So for that reason, you know, I, that's why I have been passing on keeping uh, Brian and Zach mm-hmm. together. Um, it, for for that reason, I feel like there's there's when there's another answer there, 
Um, and so one that I am going to go with that might be off the uh, beaten path that you might not expect is Mike Potts. Mm-hmm. Those here are familiar with him. He is a star, man. He is really good, and he has consistently been good. If you've listened to him uh, on this podcast or, or any other uh, you know media that he has done, you know he's smart as a whip. He's super talented. Um, he he has done an incredible job of of working with. Again, they've found the way to find the pieces that fit between all the people that I kept here. Duke, Zach, Mike Potts. When you when you're talking about the draft, and it's close with with Steven Radicevich too on the in the free on the on the pro side too. I mean, he could have just as easily been the one in here, but I, you know, I'm going to be counting on development. I think drafting is going to be more important. I'm not going to have as much money to spend with this borough contract over me, so I need the experts in drafting to not go anywhere. I need to keep my drafting contingent together. That's going to be mega important. The ability to spend in free agency is going to be less important in the future because there's just not going to necessarily be as much money. So for that reason, uh, I'm sneaking in a Mike Potts on him and uh, and taking him. And uh, this is hard. I I will um I'll finish it off. I'll finish it off. My last pick. It's hard because I. I've got I, okay. Here's here's the names I have in front of me. I can I can air them out. I've got Collins. I've got Brian Callahan. I've got Mike Hilton, Tyler Boyd, and I also have Sam Francis. I had um, him on there. Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, again we talk about rising stars and people. Their their analytics guy, who's you know we know they haven't exactly been big spenders compared to the rest of the league because they feel like they yeah. have a really great one, and uh, so you really can't afford to lose him. And so I have him on the list too. That said, what have I built this thing around? Defense. I love Mike Hilton. Mm-hmm. I lo- the importance yeah. of the slot is only going to get bigger. I'm going to add. I'm going to. I'm going to throw Hilton. He's still young enough. I think you'll still get good years out of him for the most part. You love his contract. Super digestible. Sorry, Burrow and everyone on the <laughs> offense. I have really turned my back on you, but it just fell that way. Jay took all the offense, and it kind of forced me to go down this route. I am putting it all into the hands of Culture and Duke Tobin and Mike Potts to find the next great three receivers uh, and tight ends uh, and some more linemen uh, and, and a running back. <laughs> I mean, who who is Burrow compared to Brady? Look at all the stuff all yeah. that Brady accomplished without having great wide receivers. He makes the receivers instead He's of. He's gonna need versa. to make this offense great uh, <laughs> because I didn't give him anything to work with except for a good defense. So if he can just find a way to work some points to win some games, uh, sixteen to fourteen, um, that's where this thing's gonna have to be. For my final pick, I'm I'm gonna take Darren Simmons and promote him to head coach. And wow, even yeah, if, that's true. You're missing uh you don't have a head coach or a GM. Yeah. So um and even if I if I get a head coach elsewhere, some one falls in my lap with a firing or whatever, I, I would be happy to keep Darren as the special teams coordinator. Um I just I think he brings a, a bunch of value to this team and and it's a personal too. I mean, we he's I'm sure one of your favorite, he's one of my favorite people to interview. Um, so that he's an easy one, uh, a name I had on my list. If we had gone 15, I might've snuck him in there somewhere. One, 
was I had San Francisco. I also had Nick Cosgray. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what the other directors of rehab in the league, how good they are, but you have never heard anyone say anything but glowing things about Nick Cosgray. And health is a big reason this team was where they were last year. There is no doubt. All right, so that completes uh, that completes our draft. That completes our draft. How do you feel, Jay? Um, broke. I do. I like. <laughs> I like the names, but you're right. I I may not have taken the financials into into full accountability. Yeah, but you know what? It's League of Stars. You said, Jay, yeah, give me the stars. Right. I'm counting on draft and development. I'm like the I'm frugal Mike Brown ownership, right? The old the old adage about Mike. That's me. Draft and draft and develop underneath my star quarterback, uh, and hope he can elevate. While I have, a, I'm going to keep this good defense together. That's that's it's yeah. a fun exercise, and they're good conversations to have when you start talking about importance and uh, and and how to go forward. Um, the good part is uh, they don't have to do two drafts. They just need to do this one time, and they can choose mm-hmm. to keep multiple people. I don't. You don't want a world uh, where you don't have Duke Tobin. Or Zach Taylor, and I don't want a world where the Bengals don't have Jamar Chase. They don't have to make that decision, which is a good one, uh, because the the whole rest of that draft looks so different um, if if the top is able to kind of be combined there. But it, it was it was fun, good exercise, fun conversation. Um, and if you haven't listened uh, to these string of podcasts from Robert Mays, they they had Jamar Chase. I think Jamar Chase went fourth. Wow. Um, in the non-QB, and Burrow went fourth in the QB, I believe. But a lot of really good conversations there. Also, they had uh, an episode on rebuilds, on how rebuilds work, and some interesting Bengals conversation in there. Some of it, them not giving the Bengals as much credence because of the lack of replicability of uh, lucking into the number one overall pick. Um, but there was some aspects where they talked about the things that they do think are becoming league-wide trends that the Bengals have shown. It's There's a lot of interesting conversation, even if – the hardcore optimistic Bengals fan might not like all of it, but I do think it's very good real talk from them, which you're always going to get on the athletic football show, which if you're not subscribed to highly recommend it is awesome. Uh, so anyway, thanks to everybody for uh, listening and we will talk to you next week as the off season program wraps up and then we'll be on to our off season series that we're very, very excited uh, to get started for you guys. So thanks everybody for listening. We will talk to you next time. Good